Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Welcome to this episode of the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here with Mark Murray this week. Mark, how are you doing? Doing good. Not the uh, not the result that we wanted, as we'll discuss, but uh, still doing good with the playoffs in the future. Right, and you know, Mark, thank you for filling in. Kyle and Aaron are both out attending to Family Matters, so good to have Mark here with us this week. Um, We'd like to thank our sponsor, the Arizona Soccer Complex, before we get going. The Arizona Soccer Complex is located by the 17 and 101 freeways in Glendale. With indoor air conditioning, they have leagues for people of all ages. The temperature's always just right in there. Um, So get in there, get started on a league or an event. Let them know that the Rising is One podcast sent you, and you'll get a discounted annual membership. So with all that being said, let's get into this match versus Reno on Saturday. Hard-fought match, just as I had predicted um, when talking with 1868 Weekly. Unfortunately, it ends in a nil-nil draw, but let's let's dive into that. Mark, do you want to take us through? Sure. Uh, so going over the starting lineup first, uh, we saw one change from the previous week against the uh, St. Louis, we saw Jason Johnson come in on that uh, left-wing position uh, for Shafts Brewer Jr. Um, the other 10 uh, in the starting lineup stayed the same. Lazinski, Abdul Salam, Dia, Thero, Defont, Musa, Lambert, Awako, Asante, Drogba, and then Johnson. So not much change as uh, we've seen in the past. Uh, on the other side, Reno, uh, surprisingly, they... Uh, Top, their top two offensive uh, threats, Brian Brown and uh, Anton Oppenet, uh, both started on the bench. Um, they Reno did play uh, midweek last week, and so probably due to the summer rest that they decided to uh, sit those two players down. Yeah, and it's, it's worth mentioning they played on Wednesday um, at Portland, and that was probably the more important match for them you know, that's a battle for the fifth seed and a chance at top four in the West. So they definitely attacked that match um, with all their best players. So I think that's an explanation for why you see Hoppe not not getting the start and uh, Brown also not getting the start. But let's get into the match itself. Yeah, so 
not much going on in the, uh, in the opening, uh, probably 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, there was one uh, chance early in the sixth minute. Uh, Dia uh, had a chance going down the, the left side in an offensive attack-minded position and uh, forced a shot uh, over the bar into the supporter section. But other than that, uh, Phoenix didn't have a whole lot going on uh, until, I believe, was it the uh, 28th minute, Jason Johnson uh got free and was one-on-one with the keeper and uh, shot it. You know, it looked like he was trying to go near post, uh, but it ended up right at the keeper, and uh, and the game stayed scoreless. Yeah, and it's it's one of those chances that you would like to see Jason Johnson finish. Um, not the easiest chance by any means, but it's a chance that we saw him score last year in many occasions. Um and really, it's a shame because it was a beautiful ball by Mike DeFont, who <clears throat> has not always been like the most um, consistent player, like getting into the attack. Really, he's more of a center back. So it was a beautiful ball. Great dummy by Drogba to fool the whole defense and create that space. But this is something we've seen a lot from Johnson this year. I mean, he had the really cool scissor kick, but not finishing a lot of these one-on-one chances. And, you know, a few minutes later another one-on-one chance and a similar result. Yeah, and I think some of it, you know, some of it you can probably chalk up to Rust. Uh, he had been injured the past, I think, three or four weeks. And so this was his first uh, appearance and first start in uh, quite a bit amount of time. And so you can chalk some up to that and just rustiness. And But, you know, this is the part of the season where you can't really have that going on. And this team does have the, the depth to uh, replace uh, a player when they are rusty and when they aren't getting those uh, chances converted. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it is what it is. You don't like to see those chances missed, but you know, kudos to, you know, rising for creating those opportunities. Kudos to Johnson using his speed to get in front of the defenders and create those kinds of chances. Um, because you don't even get those chances if Jason Johnson isn't timing his runs right and getting into good spots. And, you know, something else that is worth mentioning, on both of those plays, Didier Drogba is the catalyst. Mm -hmm. In the 28th minute, it was his dummy that froze both defenders and got Johnson ahead of everyone. In the Mm -hmm. 35th minute, it was Drogba putting that ball perfectly through for Johnson, timing it up exactly right and creating a quality goal scoring chance that you know at least one out of two times he's putting that into the net so it's funny because in the heat of the moment I wasn't thinking about it that way I was thinking Drogba didn't have a huge impact last night but going back seeing those chances created you know Drogba does have a big impact in those less obvious ways yeah and I think that's one of the you know we you guys on the podcast have discussed, and many people in Drogba's playing career have discussed, you know, how great he is. And it's not only when he's up top as a striker. Last year, he played a lot as that, that number 10 role, and he's just as good when he's that creative midfielder type as when he's a striker. And so, you know, he may not be banging in goals. And last night, he, he had a little bit of a rough time playing up top, but he still has those one or two moments each game where 
uh, it makes a real big difference. For sure. So really, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there weren't any, you know, massive chances those last 10 minutes of the first half. So it goes in at nil-nil. Yeah, you had the one uh, possible penalty shout at the end of the first half. Uh, Solomon Asante went down. There didn't seem to be too much contact. You know, the supporter section was upset, but uh, I, I don't think a no call was the wrong call. Um, obviously, we would have been more excited if a penalty had been given, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there was enough to uh, force a call. Right, and you know, in in fairness, like I I didn't see that play, but it, no no one that was in the supporter section while I was out said that you know this was super obvious, a terrible missed call, um, and there was one other moment in the first half where it looked like someone might have actually dove for Phoenix. So I mean, I don't, I don't think unless it's super obvious, the refs are going to make those kinds of calls in most matches. Um, We'll talk about the Orange County match a little later in the show and a call at the end of that match that a lot of people weren't really happy about. But uh, but we get into the second half, um, no subs right off the bat, and Reno actually gets the first good chance of this half. Tell us about this. Well, well, Phoenix did actually have a chance in, uh, early, early second half. It was within the first minute. Um, that's in a walk-o got into a, a great position and uh, fired a shot. It, it was a low chance uh, opportunity, but it was still a, a great uh, great move by the team as a whole, and uh, Waco got the shot off. It, it went over the bar, and it wasn't all that close to being um, in, but it was just a uh, – it was good to see Phoenix get off on the front foot in the second half after being you know, the more dominant team in the first half and uh, really restricting – Reno to the uh, second best chances. Right. And then with that being said, uh, Reno did come back at us. And uh, in the 50th minute, Jerry Van Ivick, um, you know, benefited from a really nice pass by Mo Theo, had a lot of space, and Carl Wazinski had to go down and make a humongous save. Um, He's not always getting a ton of shots on goal from the opposition. Mm-hmm. But when he does, I feel like most matches this season, there have been one or two moments in big spots where he's called upon to make that huge save. And here he does the job. He makes that big save and keeps it at nil-nil. Yeah, and he got a little lucky. Uh, then Ewing uh, took a... It was a not a great first touch. Uh, and as you said, he had plenty of space if he was able to bring that ball down. But his touch kind of let him... Uh, led him away from goal, and that gave Carl the uh, chance to run out and grab it. Um, but it's just another one of those reminders that you know Reno does have some explosiveness, and uh, Phoenix couldn't really go all out attack uh, despite looking for that first goal. Right, and um, so it stayed nil nil. Um, we still don't see um, subs right away. And then what minute did Iwako come off? It looks like 63rd minute Devin Vega came on for Iwako. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at that point, I'm thinking there's still enough time. We're still creating chances. We're going to find that breakthrough. Um, But, you know, Reno actually had some decent chances 
um, going into those last 30 minutes, some better possession. And maybe that's because Brown and Hoppenot get subbed on later in that match. But, um, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on, like, the timing of some of our substitutes and how the match played out those last 30 minutes? I, yeah, I was surprised Iwako was the first sub. Uh, I actually thought he, he played pretty well. He was uh, he had some shot attempts that weren't quite on frame, but he, he was doing well to connect with Asante uh, and Drogba and Johnson, um, as well as getting back and uh, playing that uh, defensive role uh, in the midfield. So I was a little surprised he came off first. I thought you know maybe Johnson would come off or even uh, Drogba would come off first. But... Uh, you know, Vega is just another another exciting threat we have, and so when you have the opportunity to bring in someone like him on, uh, you do it. Especially when we were still looking for a goal sixty minutes in. Yeah, so we we move on. Sixty um, fifth minute, Jerry Van Ivick gets another shot, but it was not really a, a quality chance. Um, Carl was able to pretty easily palm that away. Um, you know some some half chances for rising but a lot of a lot of shots off target and blocked and then in the 76th minute we actually do get a chance Solomon Asante so dangerous on his right foot has a good dipping shot from outside the box um, and Bersano does just enough to get a hand on it and push it out for a corner Um, you'd love to see Asante get even more of those opportunities earlier in the match but um, here Bersano does just enough and that's I mean that's why you take those shots because you never know when those are going to squeak in but this one doesn't quite squeak in yeah and you got to give props to Brissano he uh he he did have an excellent match uh you know Phoenix would have liked to see one of those 26 shots go in but uh but when the goalie's on uh Playing on his top level, like Rosano was last night, uh, you got to your cap to him as Drogba did at one point uh, in the match. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the stats: twenty six shots for us, but only four on target. So Bersano stepped up when he needed to, but I'm sure the guys are going to be in training on Monday, Tuesday, trying to get more of those shots on target because not to this degree, but. To a lesser extent, there have been some matches recently where we haven't been putting 50% of shots on target or even 40% of shots on target. So it's it's probably something that the staff will be looking at. Um, but one shot that was on target that was quality came in the 82nd minute. Um, I mean, Kavon Lambert had a long one that was pretty f- easily saved in the 78th. But then 82nd minute, um, very well-worked ball. You know, first, um, Asante's able to do a little back heel out to Vega on the wing. Vega puts it in for Billy Forbes, who gets a great shot on target here. This shot looked like it was going in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're watching on TV or even in the supporter section, no matter where you were watching, you think this ball is going in because Forbes, in my mind, does the right thing here. Hits it hard, hits it low, across the face of goal, and Bersano... One, does a great job to just get a hand to it, but two, is right on that ball, doesn't allow a rebound. And that's important because Drogba was right on the doorstep ready to pounce if there's any rebound at all. I don't I don't know how he couldn't even allow a rebound on that kind of shot because how hard Billy Forbes hit that, 
I, I mean, it's just you got to tip your cap kind of like Drogba did after that opportunity and the lack of a rebound because I feel like most matches there's at least going to be a rebound there and you you got to like Drogba's chances one on zero to put a ball into an empty net. Yeah, and you know, you watch the replay of that shot and Bersano saved that ball with just his uh, right hand, you know, stopping it between his hand and the crown. So that makes it even more impressive that uh, he was able to uh, snag that. And uh, like you said, Forbes put it in the right spot. He had the right idea. And, you know, he had a little bit more space that he probably could put to the left of uh, Bersano. But uh, I think more often than not, that would have been a goal. Yeah, one way or another. I mean, pro- at least half the time, that's going to go in past the keeper. And then even if the keeper gets a hand to it, at least half the time, that's going to pop up for a rebound for Drogba to put in. I'm pretty unlucky that we don't even get a second chance at that ball. But, you know, like you said, hats off to Bersano. And that was really our last big chance um, in this match. There were some chances Asante had on his right foot that he couldn't put on target. Um, but Reno was, they were, they definitely had some gamesmanship down the stretch. Uh, <laughs> delaying the game, like laying down a little bit longer than they needed to, but um, they're fighting for home field in the first round. So, you know, you, you can't really complain about that. That's, you got to expect that against a good USL team. And um, they limited our opportunities and just, it really kind of petered out at the end. There weren't too many quality chances. Yeah. And, you know, the whole, I mean, the defense didn't give up any goal. So as in the game as a whole, but especially the second half, the defense really tightened up. And even with uh, Brown and Hoppin out on the field, there wasn't uh, too many dangerous Reno attacks. And so it's always good to uh, have that security at the back when you're, when you're still fighting for that first goal of the match. And one thing that does happen in those last 10 minutes in the stoppage time that did have a serious impact on Phoenix rising was you know, 83rd minute, right after Forbes' opportunity, James Musa goes down with a pretty, you know, potentially significant injury. Um, he was on the ground for a couple minutes. This was, you know, definitely not gamesmanship here. He had to come off. Um, and Chris Cortez comes on as our last sub, which we'll talk about more after this recap, but Cortez only getting on in the 86th minute of a nil-nil match that just rubs me the wrong way. I mean, you would like to see someone with his quality in front of the goal get in sooner, but now we're looking at, you know, what impact does this Musa injury have on our rotation these last couple weeks, and will he be good for playoffs? Yeah, and you hope, you know, uh, Coach Sean said post-game that they have a, they do scans this morning of Musa's, uh, leg and so you hope it's not too serious i'm sure we'll hear something either Monday or tuesday uh depending on the severity of it um but you likely think that even if he's good to go he gets rested uh these two games this week and you do everything you can to make sure he's ready for october 19th in the first round definitely um so that's a really unfortunate thing to see uh, because Moose has been so quality alongside Lambert at that defensive mid um, role. 
really been a big backbone for us because Rick Schantz can just pencil in Musa and Lambert as those two defensive midfielders in that 4-2-3-1. Doesn't really have to think about it much. And now you have to think about, okay, who is going to come into that spot if Musa has to miss some time? I mean, maybe Colin Fernandez, although he usually plays a little bit higher on the field. Um, you know, it's it's a fair question. Um, and it's just kind of unfortunate because we haven't had to think about that for some time. Yeah, and you wonder how it affects uh, the team's play because often... You know, you see Amadou Dia and Abdul Salam so high up the pitch, uh, even though they're they're left back and right back respectively. But that's because Musa is dropping into the back line with either Defont and Farrell or Blackman when he was here. And so, if you have to put someone like Lambert in that spot, uh, you lose you lose what Lambert provides offensively, uh, and you you lose that defensive prowess that. Musa has that allows you that flexibility uh, when it comes to the attack. Yeah, I mean another another option could be bring uh, Duigi Mala back into the starting eleven as one of the center backs and put Defont up at that defensive mid spot. But you know, no matter how we do it, it's going to be something that's a little suboptimal, and we'll see. We will see how the team responds if. Musa misses any time, but the match ends nil-nil. Um, you know, Asante can't quite put a couple of those late chances on target, and each team gets a point from this one, and where it leaves us now is three points behind Orange County with a match in hand, um, and that match is at Las Vegas Lights, so you have to like our chances to win the match. What gets a little bit dicey is that they have a three a plus three goal differential on us. So, you know, first tiebreaker is wins. I think we would end up with the same number of wins if we ended up with the same number of points. Then you go to head-to-head, which is also tied. Then you go to goal difference. Um, and that, that goal difference right now, they are plus three on us. If we end up with the same goal difference, it's goals scored, and Orange County should have us beat on goals mm-hmm. scored. Right now, I think they have, like, Five or six more goals scored on the season. I think they, I think they actually have eight. I yeah, think it's sixty nine, sixty one. Yeah, so it, so that that's not really a possibility. We would have to, um, we're either going to have to score a bunch against Vegas or get some help uh, if we want to win the number one seed. So yeah. that's that's where we are right now. It's not impossible. Reno is going to host Orange County in that last match, and Reno will be playing for home field advantage. Um, one one variable that could help us is that Reno match is going to kick off at 6 p.m. Um, so they're going to go into that last match before the Real Monarchs Fresno match kicks off at 7. That matters because Reno will be playing for top four, and they won't have any idea how Monarchs is doing because their match won't start for another hour. Um, yeah, and then we don't start till 7:30. So by the time our match kicks off, we'll have a very good idea whether OC will be dropping points or whether they have that number one seed locked up. And that could influence how we go through this match, what kind of substitutions we make, um, and whether we really go for it in that second half. So that's 
that's something that could help. I mean, but the the thing is, now the ball is in Orange County's court. It was in our court. Mm-hmm. Now, if they win that last match, you know, unless we can just pile goals on this week, it looks like they're going to take the West. Yeah, yeah, the the odds definitely slimmed with the result last night, but there's still that that little uh, glimmer of hope. And uh, you know, either way, we we also have to be aware. Uh, last night, if Phoenix had won, we would have clinched top two finish. Uh, but that, of course, did not happen. So we also have to make sure we're not dropping any more results because Sacramento could still come and uh, grab that number two seed even from us. Yeah, Sacramento has been on a great run of form lately, and they have they are now only one point behind us at 62 points. They only have one match remaining, so it is a home match against Vegas, so I would expect them to win that. But if we win one of our last two matches we will at least finish top two. So um, I I wouldn't press the panic button on that just yet. Um, The bigger thing should be going for number one. But before we move on to anything else, what were your thoughts from this nil-nil match? Do you think this is a big cause for concern that we can't break through, or do you think it's just one of those nights? I I think it's just one of those nights. This was the first time since July that Rising had been shut out. You know, we, we have had offensive uh, worries. Uh, you, you think back to last week against St. Louis where we didn't uh, break through until the 80th minute. Um, and so I, I think offensively there there is a little bit of concern. And that, you know, part of that will probably be our discussion on Drogba and Cortez and uh, who exactly fills um, those top four, uh, leading four spots uh, in the lineup, but also you have to look at it. We've we've given up one goal in our last four matches. You know, defense is playing great right now, um, and so you, you have to be excited for that. It's not it's not the flashy part of the game, um, but as uh, Sean's talked about in his post game uh, interview last night, you know. As long as the defense doesn't give up any goals, you have one of the better shots to win uh, every match. And so you got you got to feel good about our ability to not uh, give up any goals, regardless of who we're playing. And um, so so we'll see. Uh, I'm still I still think uh, we have a shot the the one seed, and I still think we do well in the playoffs this year. But you do have uh, a slight uh, thought about what what could be better in this attack? Yeah. I mean, the, I, I think on a different day, we win this match one or two nil, but I, I don't, the more I think about it, the less I am concerned about this match over the course of the season. Not every match goes probably the way it should. And we've benefited from some fairly lucky results. I mean, you, you go back mm-hmm. to the RGV match you could make a pretty strong argument that RGV had the strongest two chances in that match. Somehow, they don't score either. They definitely should have scored one of those. And so we win that match 1-0. Colorado Springs match. They had two golden opportunities in the last 25 minutes of that match. Could not score either. And we really, I mean, could have lost that match. Probably should have drawn that match. And so instead we get that win. And we stay on Orange County's heels. So... Over the course of the season, I think this stuff kind of balances out. You know, maybe those days we were lucky to get the win. 
maybe today we're unlucky not to get the win. But I think we played strong on defense. We created enough chances where most weeks we're going to score. So I would I would just caution everyone, let's not get too worked up. These things happen over the course of a season. Of, of course you want to have the number one seed, but that dream is still alive. You know, Vegas is there for the taking. We could easily beat them 5-0 or 5-1. And then we have that better goal differential. Then all we got to do is take care of our business on Saturday and we have it. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, these are going to happen sometimes, but I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't panic too much. Yeah. And with that being said, let's preview those next two matches this week. We have Las Vegas Lights on Wednesday and Timbers 2 to close out the season on Saturday. Still awaiting response from men in Blazers whether they're going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, two matches that you should feel pretty good about going into them. Um you know, Las Vegas on the road can be a little bit tricky. I feel like they've put up some fight at home. Um, maybe not getting the wins at home, but they've definitely made life tough for teams. They drew at Reno, um, you know, a close home loss to Timbers 2 in September. Um, they were actually ahead of Orange County uh, when they hosted them in the week before Orange County came back late in that match to win. So they're a team that we can't take for granted, but, you know, the one thing you can say about Phoenix is they never get on these negative streaks. And I'm sure Rick Schantz is going to have these guys all fired up for that Wednesday match. I would expect some rotation, some new starters, some guys that are hungry to come on and make a difference. And um, I I don't really see how uh, Vegas will be able to keep us from scoring at least one two in this match and that that should be enough to get the win um you know vegas is kind of a team that's just playing out the stretch right here um sammy ochoa is a threat for them up top um kobayashi raul mendiola can sometimes get in on the attack but they're they're kind of a team in flux and they've given up a ton of goals this season um coming off a 3-1 loss at san antonio and I I don't know. Does this match worry you at all? It worries me more about... You know, regarding the opponent. Uh, it, it ha- it, it, those midweek games can always be uh, fluky. And so you combine that with, you know, the, the weirdness that is Las Vegas lights and their field and... Um, just some of the results they have. They, they haven't been on the greatest run of form lately. Uh, they, they were eliminated from any playoff contention a while ago, but it's still one of those, one of those uh, opponents that anything could go, uh, especially at this point in the season. So, you know, like you said, I, I would expect a lot, not a lot, probably four or five guys rotated. Um, I, I think, for sure, you see Cortez up top for Drogba. I don't think Drogba makes a trip at all, uh, especially when you consider uh, the Portland uh, Timber 2 game at home being his last regular season match. You, you expect him to get the start there, and I couldn't see him going three starts in seven days. Um, so Cortez, you, you might see maybe Shaft Brewer Jr. 
like you said, maybe Fernandez and for Musa, depending on his injury. Vega uh, didn't and maybe start even Lu- again. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I expect Phoenix to win, but also um, you never know what can happen in Vegas. Yeah, and that's that's fair too. I mean, it's it's their last home match of the season, so they're going to want to give their fans something to cheer about. They had a good stretch of home run during the middle of the season, but lately they've had a bunch of losses at home. So they're going to want to fix that. They're going to want to finish the home season on a high note because I don't I don't really see any chance they can take points off Sac Republic away to end the season. So it's a match we should be aware for. It's a match we shouldn't take for granted, but. I really, I really can't see us, you know, not scoring at least one, two goals in this match, especially if Cortez is up top. He's just going to have his way at least at one moment in this match. So I, I don't see us blowing him out of the water, putting like four or five goals up like I hope we do. You know, I think there's a chance if we jump on him early and put like two in in the first 20 minutes, but... More realistically, looking at maybe like a 2-0, I think is fair. Yeah, I'd say 3-0. See, 3-0 would be interesting because then it, then it makes that, it puts that goal differential in play on that last yeah. match day. Um, yeah, Phoenix and Orange County would have the exact same wins, losses, ties, goal differential points uh, going into the last match. So, that, I mean, that would make for an entertaining last uh, game of the season. But even even a two nil or a three one or something like that makes it intriguing as well because yeah we go in with a one goal differential worse but you know if Orange County has to struggle and maybe eke out a one goal win if we can beat Timbers two by three then we would still get the job done and we did that yeah. at Portland this season so I mean we just we want to win we want to win comfortably and run that goal differential number as high in our favor as possible. But at the end of the day, I think it's just about getting three points, avoiding injuries, because this is a physical Vegas team. Yeah, especially on that field. You, you never know uh, where those divots are in those baseball fields. And so you, you hope for three points and uh, no other serious Injuries. We, you know, Phoenix has been pretty lucky this year regarding injuries outside of you know losing Rigi for the year. We haven't had too many serious uh, injuries to any of the guys, and so you hope that continues throughout the uh, postseason. And then uh, our last match is against Timbers 2. Timbers 2 currently sitting at 6th place in the Western Conference, two points ahead of Swope Park. Um Three points ahead of San Antonio and St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis actually has that match in hand on them, but Timbers too has more wins, so a lot, a lot at stake there for um, Timbers too. They they do have okay, so they have 16 wins. San Antonio only has 14, so no matter what, they're going to make the playoffs. But yeah, they clinched already. Yeah, but it, they could fall as low as eighth place. Yeah, they could, and so they're going to have something to play for too. Now, it's it's not really a situation where they can get home field advantage, but they can go as high as, well, I guess now with Reno winning, they can either stay at sixth place, um, and have a match against most likely Sac Republic, a very beatable team, 
or drop down to eighth place, and then you're looking at a match with us, Orange County. I, I think they'd prefer that 3-6 that matchup. I think they'd prefer that sixth spot. So they're going to have stuff to play for in that last match of the season. Ironically enough, it's a repeat of last year's final match, and I think we would all take a 4-1 win in a nanosecond this year uh, because this is a much different Timbers 2 team, um, a lot more attacking prowess. Uh, you are still going to have... Uh, you're still going to have... Well, actually, it's a fair question. It should be Augustine Williams in that, but I'm looking at their their lineup the last week and they didn't have Williams so we'll see um but I mean they they have a lot more promising guys up top this season than in the past um so it's it's not a matchup we can take for granted uh Langsdorf can do some things uh Barnby can do some things uh Foster Langsdorf has had a great season for them so um but I, I don't know. This match just doesn't scare me the same way that the Reno match did. What are your thoughts on Timbers 2 in this match? It, it'll be interesting. I don't, I'd have to look at their, their roster and see, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the MLS guys come down uh, or have come down for their last couple of games just to see if they can get them into the, um, make sure that they're playoff eligible. Um, and so until I see a, a starting lineup, I, I won't know for sure. But I, I think you have to feel pretty good about this game. It's Drogba's last uh, regular season game. You know, there should be a sellout uh, at the soccer complex. And so um, you hope Phoenix can get the job done Wednesday and then they uh, come right back around and uh, hopeful to see Drogba get a goal in his send-off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, men and Blazers, we're still waiting for you guys. You're seriously going to miss Drogba's last home match? I, I don't think so. I think you guys better get out there for that. Um, but, yeah, I, it's it's a good team. It's a team with potential, but they're a little bit young. I don't think that they have that kind of veteran leadership the way that Reno did that can withstand our pressure for a full 90 minutes. And we already saw that in Portland when we were able to put four on them. So I – I, I feel pretty good about both of these matches getting three points. Yeah, and like you said, you know, we'll know pretty early on the result of the Orange County match. And so, um, and I, I see that Sacramento will kick off the same time. So, depending on what we do Wednesday, you know, if, if we're not, if we don't have to be as worried about looking behind us, uh, and we know Orange County's result, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us go much all out attack and uh you know get those three points get the goal difference uh up in both of these matches and um take a crack at first place yeah i mean could you imagine the scenes if if we're able to you know right at the end of this match we are looking for like one goal and we know that one goal would win the western conference um i i can't even imagine what the atmosphere would be last 20 30 minutes of this match and then if, if we were to put that in, I can't imagine what the reaction would be like uh, if we heard around the ground that, you know, we got just enough goals. Um, I, I would imagine it would be pretty wild because that would be the biggest achievement in franchise history. Oh, by far, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. 
Um, but let's get into team news now. Not too much to speak of. Last week, we forgot to mention that Joe Farrell made USL Team of the Week. Um, he had a headed goal in that Colorado Springs win and you know, had some pretty good ball distribution and clearances in that match. So that earned him Team of the Week then. And then more recently, Billy Forbes makes USL Team of the Week. Um, he, of course, with that humongous goal in the 82nd minute to put us ahead against St. Louis. So that's uh, that's good stuff to see, as always. Um, two more guys making Team of the Week. It seems like most weeks we got at least one player on there. So cool stuff to see. Um, and then as far as... I don't know. We we heard about tickets going on sale for the playoff match now, so I think a lot of people were already on the ball for that. If you weren't, playoff tickets are on sale for our first round home playoff match. That's Friday, October 19th at 7.30 p.m. It will be a $1 beer night, so that's a cool thing. And then if you're listening to this and you're a season ticket holder, just check your Ticketmaster account because you might still have unused um ticket vouchers or credits or you know something like that where you can use that in that final week to get a friend to the to the park someone who hasn't gone there before take advantage of those i realized i had that just a couple weeks ago and i was able to you know use those credits to get um a couple people tickets to a match uh the match against reno so definitely check that out you don't know what you have if you don't give it a shot and uh that stuff does not carry over to playoffs so did you have anything to add with team news uh no we we already discussed moose's injury and so uh i i think that was the uh biggest thing uh concerning the team from the match last night um other than that uh I noticed uh, outside Rigi, Wakasa was the only one carrying an injury going into the match. And so the t- team overall is pretty healthy uh, heading, heading into these last two matches in, in the playoffs, which is good to see. For sure. And, you know, with all that being said, let's get into USL scores and standings. Um, you know, in the Western Conference, not the most busy day, but a couple things worth keeping an eye on. The biggest thing is Orange County gets this 2-1 win and they get it absolutely at the death. They go into this match against Sounders 2 at home and everyone's expecting this to be a pretty comfortable win. Um, They get a lot of shots, but they don't put anything in the net. And Sounders 2 actually went ahead in this match on a beautiful, beautiful goal from Azriel Gonzalez in the 60th minute. You guys got to check this out. Go to the USL Twitter or, you know, YouTube for the match highlights. This is probably going to be USL goal of the week because he whipped this thing in from 30 yards. Amazing dip. I mean, seriously, seriously, like Premier League, even Ronaldo quality here. Um, Keeper had no chance, and all of a sudden, OC is down. Um, But as they tend to do, 62nd minute, they get a corner kick. They get a scrappy set-piece goal. Chaplo puts it in. Um, you know, Chaplo, who's going to be retiring at the end of this season. Um, so a good moment for him, I suppose. But 
they struggle to break Sounders 2 down, and it looks like it's going to be a 1-1 draw when in the 94th minute, um, Hayden Quinn sends a ball forward for, um, I think, Godoy. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gio Godoy got in as a sub, so he was up on that left wing. He cuts it in on his right foot, and I don't remember the uh, Sounders defender who came in and fouled him. This didn't look like a foul, though, is the thing. It was it was Marlon Vargas for Sounders, too. He comes in. It looks like he got the ball and then maybe got some of, the, of Godoy's left ankle. But Godoy goes down. The crowd screams, and the ref immediately points to the spot. So they get their penalty. Quinn puts it in in the 94th minute and that you know gives them three huge points uh keeps them on top of the western conference and allows them to control their destiny going into that last match um did you get a chance to see that that last play i I, yeah i i mean i'll I'll have to see it again but it looked like it looked like godoy was trying to cut back away from goal um right inside of the penalty box and it, even if the Sounders defender did get the ball, he also got Godoy's leg, and so you know I'm not too uh, too displeased with that call. You know it, it sucks that it's so late, and uh, after such a such a tough performance from Sounders too, impressive performance because that's a young young team. That's a lot of academy kids playing for them, uh, and so you hate to see that at the death, um, but. But I think I think it was the right call, and so you know you had hoped Seattle would have somehow uh, taken points off of Orange County, and you know for 93 minutes they did, but uh, you know rough rough little uh, turn of luck for us. Yeah, I mean, there's I guess different people have different opinions on that. I I thought that he got the ball first, and for that reason it shouldn't be called as a penalty. I mean, I think. John McPherson on Twitter wasn't too pleased about the call either. Uh, but, you know, there are going to be people on both sides, you know, saying, yes, it was, no, it wasn't. And we don't have we don't have uh, VAR anytime soon coming to USL. So uh, it's certainly an understandable decision, far from ideal. But it is what it is, and that gives Orange County a 2-1 win. Other big matches in the Western Conference, San Antonio gets into a tie for 8th place with a 3-1 win over Vegas. They actually fell behind early in this match, but then they respond with three goals, um, two goals before halftime, and then a finishing goal in the second half to, you know, really cruise into the win. So that puts them at 49 points. They are level with St. Louis on 49 points. Uh, St. Louis does have that match in hand, so you still like their chances to get the eighth seed, but um, San Antonio is putting the pressure on, and they should beat RGV in their last match at home, which means they're going to be on 52. What that means for St. Louis really is, it's pretty simple. They got two matches left. Both are at home, at home against Tulsa on Wednesday, at home against OKC on Saturday. If they get four points from those matches... They are in the playoffs. So, yeah. I mean, Tulsa, they should beat Tulsa. I I would be stunned if Tulsa gets anything from that match. So, really, you're just looking at that OKC match. And OKC has been a – they've been a tough nut to crack this second half of the season. They've 
taking points off some decent teams. You know, they've been incredible just to fight into this position where they were still on the outskirts of the playoffs. When you think about how far down they were in May, they were the worst mm-hmm. team in USL in May. And uh, they've been on playoff form since, but um, they won't make it, but they could still play spoiler for St. Louis in that match. And if St. Louis and San Antonio both end up on 52 points, San Antonio would have the tiebreaker because they would end up with one more win. And that is that goes ahead of goal differential um, in the USL for tiebreakers. San Antonio could end up with negative goal differential and still get in over St. Louis, whose goal differential is at plus five because wins are the first tiebreaker. I think that's ridiculous, but you're going to have to take that one up with the higher higher ups because that's just the way it is. Um, so, I mean, other matches, Sacramento um, battles to a 2-1 win uh, down at Los Dos. They get two early goals from Kevin Alamon in the 13th and 21st minutes. Frank Lopez puts one back for Galaxy 2. And then Sacramento picks up a red card in the 74th minute. So uh, it was not an easy win by any stretch of the imagination. But they hang on. They pull it within one of us. And they clinch top three in the Western Conference. So uh, definitely a big bounce back season for them. And, you know, kudos to Josh Cohen for being a big part of their success. Um, you know, that's that's kind of good to see. Other matchups, there weren't, I think there was only one other one in the Western Conference, and that was Tulsa and RGV. RGV wins 2-1. Great. Um, <laughs> r- riveting stuff. A uh, couple matches on Wednesday. You know, we already talked about Reno beating Timbers 2. Um, Sacramento won on Wednesday over Swill Park, and Sounders 2 and Los Dos played to a 2-2 draw. Um, Fresno yeah. won on Friday over Colorado Springs. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Monarchs uh, finally won a game on Wednesday as well. They beat the Energy uh, to finally stop that little skid of theirs uh, that dropped them so far down. It really has been amazing to see that drop uh, that they've taken the past uh, month and a half or so. Yeah, and they... I remember when they were... They were nine points up at one point, right? Yeah. Now they're nine points down. And they have the same goal differential as Fresno. (laughs) Can you believe that? Fresno, plus seven goal differential, and they have no shot at the playoffs. But, um... Yeah. it, It is what it is. Let's go through the standings really quick. We have Orange County with 66 points from 33 matches. They have one match left. We have 63 points from 32 matches. We have two left. Sacramento with 62 points, one match left. Monarchs with 57 points, one match left. Reno with 56 points and one big match left, hosting Orange County. T2 with 52 points. They are playing us in their last match. Swope Park with 50. Uh, They have one match left. And I don't think Swope, Swope Park has not clinched. We haven't talked about Swope Park yet, but... They have not clinched playoffs. If St. Louis takes care of its business, they get their four points. And if San Antonio wins, they are going to play on Sunday afternoon against Los Dos. So Los Dos could play spoiler there. Um, This is something the USL should probably look at for future seasons, trying to get all those match day 34 matches played at the same time. 
because this gives Swill Park a humongous advantage. They're going to know if yeah. they need the win or if they can just play a bunch of academy kids for a meaningless last match. And that that puts a lot of teams at a competitive disadvantage. You know, whether it's San Antonio or St. Louis, that's got to be a frustrating thing because now Swill Park might not have to risk injuries or they'll know exactly what they need and really should if if it's a must win for them, they can beat up on Los Dos that last match. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I saw some uh, some talk about that lately, and I'm looking at you know with Soap Park they share that stadium with Sporting Kansas City, but it doesn't look like Sporting's playing there uh, on the 13th, which is why I thought that would be a reason. Um, but I think it, it does have a lot to do with the MLS two sides and the sides that either share uh, a stadium with the MLS team or with the baseball team. And, you know, when they're planning the schedule so far out in advance, you really you can't tell what's going to happen uh, in October. And so it, it is a competitive advantage for Soul Park to know what they need. And it would be really cool to see all the games start at the same time, uh, at least, or have all the Eastern Conference games start at the same time, have all the Western Conference uh, matches start at the same time. You know, that's exciting when it happens in in football and in baseball, basketball. And so um, definitely something I, I think they should look at in uh, for future seasons. But I also understand the various reasons it might not be able to. Right. I, I just, I think a fairly easy fix to this would be if all the Eastern Conference matches started at 6.30 Eastern time on that Saturday and then all the Western Conference matches started at 9 o'clock Eastern time, so that the latest ones would be, you know, 8 o'clock local time, the earliest would be 6 o'clock local time out here. I, I think that makes a lot of sense, but, you know, the scheduling concerns are legitimate, and uh, that could explain it, but it matters for us too because that Swope Park, you know, they could stay in 7th place, they could finish in 8th, or miss the playoffs, and there's a very real chance that they would end up playing us in the first round if they win that match. And we, I can't speak for other people, but you know, I'd probably rather play St. Louis than Swope Park in that match. And you know, it, it, no matter what, we're going to have to find a way to win, but um, it'll certainly be something to keep your eyes open for. That will be a 12 o'clock kickoff next Sunday. Yeah. And that, I, I agree with you. Swill Park out of the 14 we could possibly face would be uh, most worrying for me. Uh, and so you, you hope the other teams can take care of business and even push them out because uh, we know Swill Park can make a run to the playoffs no matter what seed they're at. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot to sort out there, but, I mean, Swill Park could finish. They could jump Timbers 2 with that match, so that could drop Timbers 2 down to that A spot. I mean, those 6 through 9 spots, there's a lot to sort out there so we will have more clarity this time next week but um but just to wrap those standings up you know Swill Park has 50 with that one match left San Antonio has 49 with one match left St. Louis currently sits in ninth but they have the two very winnable matches left and they are also on 49 points um you know the rest of the standings it's OKC in 10th Fresno 11th Switchbacks 12th Los Dos and RGB, 13th and 14th, and uh, Vegas, Sounders 2, and Tulsa rounded out. 
Um, any any final thoughts before we move on to supporter section? Uh, not really. I, I think you covered it for the most part. You know, I, I'm interested to see who we play, and you know, I'd be really interested to see we end up playing uh, Timbers two two weeks in a row. Uh, with that last regular season matchup and then the possibility of them being the first round matchup uh, a week later in the same place. It, it's, it might be the most realistic outcome. Yeah. Well, is that right? Well, if San Antonio, well, Timbers 2 is going to be ahead of San Antonio. So I guess if St. Louis takes care of its business, then Timbers 2 could fall down to 8th. If San Antonio makes it, the worst they could be a seventh. So, in, in any case, it's a real possibility, and uh, last that last week of the season is going to be fun all throughout the Western Conference. Uh, with that being said, let's go to supporters section questions as we wind down this episode. And thank you to all the fans, all the listeners of this show for coming through with some big questions this week we had a lot more discussion on the supporter section than in recent weeks so we love to see that we love to see everyone getting engaged getting into postseason form if you will um so let's let's get to these first one comes from uh ghost of luke rooney will drogba's last match set the new attendance record for a phoenix rising match tickets have been close to sold out for about a week and a half already and there's a whole other week to go I I would hope so, um, especially, you know, if we win Wednesday night, you know, it sets up all, all possibilities of a Saturday night clinching that first seed, and you, you would hope that that's what gets the fans out. Um, the couple, the last couple of weeks have been disappointing, I think, from an attendance standpoint, and, you know, I, I, I don't quite know how, why that is, you know, the weather's finally nice enough that no one's complaining about the heat uh, at the stadium and uh, you hope that people come out for, you know, the combination of things. Drogba's last game, Phoenix's uh, last game before the playoffs, their ability to clinch uh, a Western Conference champions, which would be a huge deal uh, after, you know, all the, all the stuff that's happened uh, with this franchise over the past five, six years. Uh, so, yeah, I would, I'd hope so. I hope it'd be standing room only. Yeah, and um, it, I mean it's it's going to be a fun atmosphere whether first place is at stake or not. Um, Drogba's last match, I would I would expect the team to come out with some sort of announcement for pre-match or halftime ceremonies, and so I would I would get there early. I would recommend getting there at least fifteen twenty minutes early because my gut is that they are going to have some sort of pre-match ceremony, and you won't want to miss that. Yeah, and I imagine he gets taken off uh, either early on in the in the second half or pretty late. That gives the fans a chance to uh, celebrate him uh, in a in a decent amount of time. For sure, um, we'll we'll talk a lot more about Drogba for next week's episode. Um, I mean, next week's episode is going to be a doozy because we'll have to do playoff preview. Drogba's last match, how this whole last week shakes out. Um, but I think that's best ser- best saved for next week. Uh, next question comes from Pedro Gomez. Um, 
sorry, I'm not sure if you guys have discussed this. I've been slacking on the pods. Could it be a good thing we might finish second place? The last three Western Conference champions were eliminated in the first round. Uh, yes and no, I think. I think, you know, the thing about first place is that you're the conference champions. I, I, you get the title, you get that home field advantage throughout the playoffs, but you still have to play. And so I think, I think the team, and especially uh, Rick Johnson's mentality right now, is we have to go out uh, and win. Uh, regardless of what we do these last two matches, uh, we know we're going to have to win. Know, four straight matches to, to lift the U.S. Hill Cup. So, you know, in, in terms of does it matter, I think it, it matters for ceremonial reasons uh, for the team. You know, that's something to be proud of. But at the same time, you know, we're going to have to win four matches. And so in, in that case, I don't think it matters as much. Yeah, I mean, so first versus second place, I mean, it matters – in the sense that, like, it would be the team's biggest accomplishment and it's a banner we could hang. It's not the banner we want to hang, It's, but it's yeah. something. Um, but could it be a good thing we've finished second place? I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, he talks about the last three Western Conference champions being eliminated first round. Um, correlation doesn't always equal causation, right? And I feel, exactly. like, I feel like this is something where, all right, that's a random stat, but I don't... I don't necessarily think that uh, being at first puts you at a disadvantage compared to second. I mean, maybe there's the argument that you have the target on your back, but when it comes down to it, you're going to have to play that match. And I think a couple of those eight seeds in recent seasons were pretty dangerous teams, Um, more dangerous than their seed would indicate. So, I mean, certainly Republic last year, very dangerous eight seed. And even Orange County a couple of years before that, pretty pretty dangerous team. But I, I don't think, you know, being first as opposed to second makes much of a difference either way. And I don't think being number two is a good thing. But good question. It's definitely something worth thinking about. Um, okay, this is a great question from Ruben Rivera. Who would be the most dangerous opponent for Rising to play in the first round of the playoffs. Um, so there are four possibilities based on what the standings are looking like right now. It would be Timbers 2, Soap Park, San Antonio, and St. Louis. Who's the most dangerous of those four, in your opinion? I think uh, just for how our matches have gone with them the past couple years and especially with our playoff history already. I think it's, you know, them last year in that crazy uh, first-round match uh, with the weather delay, and we struggled against them this year in both of our uh, both of our matches. And so I think they're the most dangerous. I also think uh, San Antonio, even though we beat them 4-0 at home, I think that uh, that loss on the road to them gave me a little bit of doubt of how we match up with them when they're at full strength. Uh, and so either one of those two teams, uh, I, I would give hesitation towards. Um, but I still think we can take care of business. Yeah, I would I would love to play Timbers 2 or St. Louis. You know, no offense to either of those teams. I just, Timbers 2 is a very young squad. 
and I think we match up well against them. We can hit them on the counter because they like to possess the ball more, which plays, in my opinion, plays into our strengths. Um, and St. Louis doesn't att- offer too much in the attack. Um, you know, there's always the possibility they could sneak one on us and bunker down, but I feel like our quality would shine through at some point, uh, and we beat them both times regular season. San Antonio at home, I think we can handle. Um, it, it, it would be a tough match. I don't expect them to roll over the way they did in that 4-0 drubbing, but I would rather play them than Swope just because Haji Berry has been on fire lately. They've been in pretty good form. You always have Carlton Belmar to worry about, and that team just is the bogeyman for everyone in the Western Conference the last couple of years. So, I mean, if someone's going to beat them, it probably would be us, but I don't want to deal with that in the first round. Yeah, first round especially. I think, you know, we can talk second, third round when we get there, but uh, it's always those first-round matchups that you worry about the most because they can come out of nowhere. Um, and, and you're right with Taji Berry and Belmar and Blackwood uh, and all those uh, tweener guys they have between MLS team and uh, Swope Park. They, they can be dangerous. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a unified answer there. I think if there are any other listeners in the Western Conference, um, I'm sure they're nodding their heads and agree. Um, but a good question nonetheless, and something we should be thinking about with playoffs around the corner. Um, another one, not really a question, but uh, more of a statement, comes from Justin Viber. Billy Forbes discuss. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a it's been a rough go, hasn't it, for him uh, lately? He did have, you know, it, it seems like that we either get one of two performances from Billy. Uh, we either get the performance he had last week, where he gets that goal and he brings a lot of energy to the team, uh, and he's uh, impactful uh, in the final third, or you get Billy uh, from last night or even two weeks ago, where you know he. He tends to be. I, I I hate calling the players selfish when you know they take a lot of shots. But there were there were moments last night Billy uh, could have found an open teammate or two um, that might that might have led to a uh, to a better chance. But he did also have our best chance of the night uh, in that 82nd minute. Uh, and so, you know, in my opinion, he's. I don't think he's a starter for this team right now. I think he is a a great bench option uh, to bring into the match late when you need that speed to stretch defense that has been uh, covering the rest of the guys for the first 75 or 80 minutes. Um, But but I I don't know if the Billy Forbes we got is the Billy Forbes of last year uh, when he did so well with San Antonio. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the same player, which is super unfortunate i mean he still has had his moments with us and had a huge moment against st louis uh keeping us in the race for number one in the west but you know on the whole not quite the distribution i think some of us expected not quite the uh lethal finishing some of us expected um but certainly a great option to have off the bench and i think that's probably going to be his role when we get to the playoffs um 
And the, the last question, maybe this is a little selfish, but uh, I asked one because this was just something on my mind this morning. Um, is Drogba better for our team than Chris Cortez? Should he be starting over Cortez? I think the short answer is no. Uh, I think if you take into account everything that Chris Cortez has done this year, um, I don't see how you can't start him. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I understand Drogba getting the minutes he has over the past two games. Uh, you want to make sure that he's ready for the playoffs uh, when called upon. And I don't think him starting these past two games is an indicator that he'll start in the playoffs. Um, like we discussed when talking about the Vegas game, I think I think you see Cortez start in that match, uh, and then maybe you see Drogba start in that last match against T2, uh, just as a, as a celebration to him. But I, but I also think in the first round you see Cortez, or at least I, I hope you do. I think Drogba is a much better option as a sub uh, just because of how versatile he can be. You know, you can stick him up top with Cortez if you need that uh, goal late in match, or you can even stick him uh, a little farther down the field in the midfield uh, if you need that creative presence. You know, there was a lot of times last night Drogba was dropping deeper and deeper and deeper uh, to get the ball. And, you know, like his pass to Johnson uh, in that 35th minute, he, you know, he has that creativity that maybe Cortez just doesn't have. Uh, and so, you know, Drago is still very, very valuable. But I don't see how you can't start uh, Cortez come playoff time. I mean, it, it's we don't know what goes on, you know, inside the uh, coaching rooms. We don't have any idea what goes on with the brain trust of the team. Um, but... I, my thinking was that they would build Drogba up so that he could start for the playoffs. But, you know, he has shown good flashes, but I think Cortez brings more to the table up top. And personally, I'm with you. I'd rather see Cortez start. The The follow-up to that is, is there a possibility that in the playoffs, we could see Cortez up top and Drogba at that kind of like attacking mid, holding mid, number 10 role? Um like he did a little bit last year and like we saw in a couple flashes last night uh, when he you know had that nice dummy to set up Jason Johnson on the wing and then the good ball through that's something I would love to see I would love to see them playing together and maybe maybe that closes up a spot for um, you know Billy Forbes or Jason Johnson but I, I want to see like how that would work I feel like we deserve to see how that would work. Um, but I, yeah. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think I, I, I think that I'd be interested to see that. I think if you say a go and you do lose some of that defensive presence uh, that a can bring, you know, it's not much, but he does a good job at uh, harassing uh, the other team's midfielders, and so I'd be slightly uh, slightly worried about that, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't know if you can keep him off the field just because Cortez is up there. And, uh, you know, even if you see both of them uh, on the field, maybe it's in a two-striker formation uh, that maybe drops drop deeper. 
uh, in. And so I'd like to see it. I, I had hoped that we would see it a little bit more. We saw it a little bit last night, but you know, those five minutes weren't enough to come to any conclusion. And so, uh, you know, if we had been able to play it more during the season, I, I think I'd be feeling a little bit better about it, but with them not as familiar, uh, in this year's playing style, I don't know if that's the best route. Sure. And, um, you know, some of the comment responses to that have been divided, you know, I think people have differing opinions and that's why it's a question worth asking. Uh, Rob Sell says Drogba super sub greater than Cortez getting less than 10 minutes. I mean, I, I'm on board with that. Uh, Pat I Moses, agree with that, yeah. Pat Moses says 20, well, that's actually another comment. Pat Moses says, um, Cortez has been more lethal, but Drogba's holdup play is far superior and he brings teammates in more. And that, it's hard to argue I, against that either. You know, I actually, I don't know. I would actually disagree with that. I think at, at least in this season of work, in this season's body of work, I, Cortez has done a lot, has improved a lot in his holdup play. And, it, you know, it's that, those, that's one of the things that you don't see uh, very often. It's not noticeable, and so you don't really see it until after the fact. But I, there's been quite a few situations this year where Cortez's hold-up play has done wonders uh, for this team. And, not, and that's not to say that Drogba doesn't. Um, but I think, uh, I think the combination of Cortez's scoring uh, prowess this year plus that hold-up play makes him you know, a tad more dangerous, uh, at least from the get-go. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's a, it's such a tough question to answer. I think there are good arguments on both sides, uh, and we'll we'll see how it plays out on the pitch this last week of the regular season, and then in playoffs. Uh, one other comment: we don't really need to discuss it too much because we already did, really. But uh, Pat Moses also says twenty six shots, ten blocked, and only four on frame. That's where the points were lost. Really hard to disagree with that. Yeah. Um, so with that, we'll go to closing thoughts. What are your closing thoughts on this week? Uh, so you know, it, we've talked about it length now. It definitely a dis- disappointing results given how uh, the teams played. Uh, but it was still a point, still a clean sheet, still got my car washed. Uh, so you can't be too disappointed. We still have that opportunity for the first seed. Um, and so I, I haven't lost any excitement for the team. Uh, I'm excited to see how they play this week, how they respond. You know, this team has done quite well uh, when coming back from disappointing matches. And so I'm excited to see how they fare against uh, Vegas and Portland. And, you know, it's all, all building up to that first-round playoff game. Yeah, it, uh, everything is building up nicely. Um, and I think I've said similar things in recent weeks, but, you know, don't panic because this one result didn't go our way. Be excited because we get to see Drogba's last match in the regular season this Saturday. We get to see our first home playoff match the week after that. We have a chance still at winning the number one seed in the Western Conference. In my mind, a realistic chance. Um, so 
I mean, just get excited about all of that. There's no need to be too down about yesterday's performance. I think a lot of weeks we would have done just enough to get that win yesterday. Um, it didn't quite work out, but this is still a time to be very excited with what's going on here in Phoenix and about our playoff chances. Couldn't agree more. Um, do you have anything to add before we sign off? Uh, probably one. I mean, it's minor. Uh, I don't know if you saw the El Paso uh, unveiling of their team and uh, Brandon. Oh yeah. What, what do you think? The Locos. I like it. Um, it's a, it's a cool logo. If you haven't checked it out already, the El Paso locomotives uh, are going to be starting play next year. They're going to be playing at that triple a uh, baseball stadium currently. And I'm excited uh, for that, for them to be in USL. I think it's a good market. I think the team will sell tickets like crazy. Uh, and I, I like I like the logo. I like the colors. I'm a big fan of everything they're doing down there. And um, it could be a cool road trip. It's not too far. Oh, yeah. It, it's always good to add a team that's close enough to take those little weekend trips. And uh, I, I, I'm thankful they, they came up with a name created enough, creative enough uh, for, for the town. And uh, the logo, logo looks really good. I also love that they're hashtagging it the crazy train. Crazy train. Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> great marketing. Yeah, their social media team wins the day on that. Um, hashtag raise your, raising the game, right? <laughs> uh, well, I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Um, be sure to tune in next week. We're going to have a lot to talk about on next week's episode. And hopefully we can get, you know, maybe four people on next week's episode to talk about playoffs, to talk about the last match. Um, we will have a ton to discuss, so do not miss that one. But thanks for listening this week. And as thanks always, everyone. Yep, go Rising. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.